0: Welcome to Dangerous Wisdom, a journey into mystery and a gateway to the mind of nature and the nature of mind. This is Dr. Nikos, your friendly neighborhood soul doctor, happy to be here with you so that together we can create a culture of wisdom, love, and beauty. Today I am joined by a philosophical pilgrim, my good friend Leah Helena Rubinoff, who has joined us before to talk about the mysteries of enlightened craving and a wisdom based approach to nutrition. We I think we could say a wisdom and compassion and beauty based approach to nutrition and health and healing. Leah is a philosopher more in the old school with me, where we approach philosophy as a way of life, and Leah has come to see wisdom as the medicine we most profoundly need. And because of the interwovenness of wisdom, love, and beauty, that means love and beauty are part of our medicines, and Leah works with all of them. She is an artist, in addition to being a philosopher, and along the way she started to study living systems and study how we can heal ourselves and the world at the same time by making more wise choices about how we nourish ourselves Leah studied herbalism she studied nutrition she continues to study Tibetan medicine and Buddhist philosophy in particular which are part of her deep practice of love wisdom and life and we are here together I haven't spoken with Leah for it feels like a Kentucky minute because uh, I always enjoy talking to Leah so so much so if we go a week that's a long time But uh, Leah's been out pilgriming, pilgrimaging, maybe, and she even went to Burning Man. And that is part of why I invited Leah to speak, because I wanted to see if we could open up some dialogue about the meaning of Burning Man. And, of course, maybe some people out there heard some of the negative press, but we want to talk about the good things. And then we also want to be good philosophers and, and try to be as honest as we can about the spiritual materialism and so on that we might really want to improve if we care about what Burning Man might represent as far as its good qualities. So, Leah, welcome to Dangerous Wisdom, my friend.
1: Well, thank you. It's lovely to be back here. And it, it does. It's been, it's been too long.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, ha, Black Rock Desert. <laughs> Should we jump in? I don't know what what else is going on with you. So you're you're back, and you're now doing the integration phase, and that is like skipping ahead in the myth, in the mythological pathway. But you know, what's the latest? How are you doing today? What's up?
1: Oh, today is lovely. It's a beautiful sunny day. Um, yeah, uh, integration. Um, I'm I'm kind of on the resolution, kind of downhill integration into the greater life path phase. Um, Burning Man, I'd say was really the peak of kind of a, maybe a month and a half of many pilgrimages, many journeys, um, lots of fire, lots of activity. Um, and um, yeah, I, I think my life, there's a few changes that happened you know, some nice, nice things that were on the burner that um, are now well cooked. And um, I'm starting to eat, eat the soup of what this last month and a half has been cooking up.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah, that's Rumi, right? You know, when he, you know, that poem about the chickpea and the, the <laughs> cook, of course, is the beloved and the chickpea says, I think I'm cooked. And the beloved pushes it down into the boiling water again and says, you're not cooked yet. <laughs> so sometimes the beloved Sophia can be rough when she's cooking us, but you're feeling like there's a good soup at least emerging. That's nice.
1: Yeah, there's definitely a nice broth. Uh, the veggies are pretty mushy at this point. So,
0: <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Okay, now, so well, I, I should say for everybody that I am not a burner. I have not been to Burning Man. I know a few people who have, quite a few people, I would say, and uh, some of those people are very big believers. Can you give a sense for why you, Leah Helena Rubinoff, decided, you know what, I'm going to the burn?
1: why well um this year it was um it was a group decision some of my nearest and dearest were really motivated to to go um and uh some people in my life some some near and dear friends are are turning 40 this year so i think that was that was part of it there was a big push i have another dear friend who moved out of state and has never been and wanted to go and you know it was the return of the burn this year cuz it <laughs> the return, the of, return the bird. of the burn. Yeah. Yes. Stopped for 2 years, so um there were Renegade Burns where people went to Black Rock City anyway and kind of tried to make it happen and you know, they did to some degree but definitely way less organized. Um so it was a big year for that and um yeah, you know, I was actually a little reluctant at first because there's there's a lot of work that goes into it and um you know like one of the things that you you had originally mentioned to me man, there's a lot of waste there's a lot of preparation there's you know this is a city that is inhospitable so we really have to bring everything there and so there's a lot of resources that go into this this event you know and I I, I didn't really initially want to do all of that but okay once um yeah, once everybody got excited and got on board, I I gave in. I gave in and we have a really beautiful camp that's um a kind of marriage of the prior camp I had been with and then another camp that's come together and uh and I saw that forming and then I got excited and um
0: a camp marriage.
1: Camp marriage. Yeah, without an actual playa marriage. There was no course, playa wedding.
0: No playa wedding, just the camps got married. So camps, for those of us, because everybody out there, if you're on the inside, I'm not. And if you are on the outside of the Burning Man culture and you're just listening because you wonder what in the world are these philosophers going to say, um, I'm learning with you. So now, can you tell us what does that mean? A to, a camps got married and you have a, a super camp.
1: <laughs> we have a super camp, baby. <laughs> um, yeah, so camps are you know, generally who you go with, who you stay with, you know, just like you would go on a camping trip and, you know, let's say you went and you went with 10 friends and then there were several tents involved and you had your picnic table and your fire pit, or if you're backpacking, you know, you, you found your spot and set up together. Um, it's basically like that, but you're camping on this. It's, it's much more organized. You're camping on this, uh, clock grid layout that is burning man. Um, and there's a uh, I'd say there's some, somewhat of a, for lack of a better term, kind of tribal element to it. You know, the camps, they, there's almost like a, a banner around it. You're part of this camp and, um, you know, you come, oftentimes camps will have, you know, dinner together, we'll organize it one meal a day. And there's, um, some structures that camps might build. Cause you know, it's really barren, it's windy, it's dusty, um, we really need to build protective structures around ourselves to protect ourselves. So um, there will be shade structures, domes, kitchens. um, Yeah. Kind of, we, we built a wall around our tents. We had a lot of people who were camping in tents and, and shift pods. And so we had a little area where people in tents would be more protected from the dust. And then we, we put vans and trailers and RVs kind of around the perimeter to create again more of a, a boundary more protection and then we had our particular camp had uh, a large kitchen and then a dome and then a shade structure and um, a little storage uh, shipping container kind of closet storage area um, yeah and so that you know there was a, a huge death storm at the beginning when everybody was setting up and then um, the second to last day there or just, I mean, you couldn't see anything, you could barely see a few feet in front of your face, you know, if you're outside, you needed goggles, you needed a mask, you needed to be covered up. Um, and so having those protective structures are really, really important, because if you're just, you know, you don't have to be part of a camp, you know, in the first time, first couple of times I went, I was, I guess, technically, kind of peripheral to, to a couple camps. And I, you just get, you, know, you can get blown away and all the dust. You know, if you if you're just in a tent, you don't have any structure around your tent. Then you know, by the end of the week, everything inside your tent's covered in dust. It's either a million degrees or freezing. You know, you're really just susceptible to the elements. So, so um, that's one really important reason to be part of a camp is that really the infrastructure, mm-hmm. and then the community is um, also huge. Mm. You know. And how many
0: people were in your camp?
1: We had just under forty.
0: Wow, that's a pretty yeah. big camp, though, because I, cause I yeah. don't know if I could find forty people who want to go to Burning Man with me. Just that's my—I guess <laughs> I'm introverted and shy, and also I don't know if I know that that type of person. So then you had forty people. Now, did you have a power source, or did you bring gener- somebody have a generator?
1: Yeah. So our camp had a generator and gas. We had um, there. Are so so there, it's really interesting because Burning Man—it's a week long. The general ticket allows you entrance. Um, I guess it's technically. Saturday, Sunday, midnight. So it's Sunday and then for a week. And then the, the next Sunday is the last full day. And Monday is kind of the last day to get out. But there are, you know, artists pass, build passes, um, like early entry passes. So there's a lot of people who come early to set up, you know, especially the artists and people, you know, obviously the people at Burning Man Org, like building the man, building the temple um, and all the artwork on the playa. They're there sometimes months in advance months uh, setting wow. everything up oh yeah they're out there um but for most of us you know no ins and outs you come in you stay as long as you want once you're out you're out um but there there's another thing called a fuel pass, which means you can actually leave go get gas in town and come back so
0: ah, so that can camp... keep your generator you don't have to bring mm-hmm. in all the gas
1: yeah That's but usually place. people bring in all the gas they'll, they will need um so we had yeah the main generator i think our camp only had one main generator to kind of run the, um, we, we had uh, some speakers and a little DJ booth set up. We have a lot of DJs in our camp. So we had some music. Um, that and what else? I mean, there must have been a couple other things. We didn't need a ton of energy out there. But then there were a ton of other generators in our camp because, you know, we had a trailer, there were four of us in the trailer, we had a generator, um, the RV, you know, they had power source and their rv um and then other people have generators to get their either um their air conditioning unit or their swap cooler or whatever right. going
0: so, so your camp had several generators
1: so yeah there was one i think just one for our camp and then many different
0: smaller uh-huh. kind
1: of yeah individual uh-huh. group of okay. so people had their generators as well
0: And what's the what's the base price? I mean, I understand the tickets range up to what, maybe twenty five hundred dollars is what I read. I don't know if that's accurate, but what's the base? No, that is accurate.
1: The um, I paid around. With like shipping, it was kind of well. I won't get into that. That's what shipping yourself there? Right. Shipping <laughs> details of the ticket. Now it's a whole. It's a stupid story, but okay. Um, it was around just under six hundred dollars, like five five seventy five, maybe.
0: Okay. For my for ticket one person, okay.
1: For one person um, for the whole week. So, I mean, as far as festivals go these days, it's not terrible. But I remember the first time I went, I think I paid. Closer to $200. Wow,
0: it really has gone up. I mean, a lot of things have. I understand
1: I mean, yeah, that was a dozen years ago. Um, I actually, one year went for free. I got really lucky. Um, There was kind of a funny situation at the gate where a friend called and said, hey, my ticket didn't get scanned. Come on in. So we got three free tickets, but that was... And I actually found $20 on the playa, so I think I maybe made money there. Whoa. Okay. That was a... An exception, but um, <laughs> yeah, so I mean, tickets were probably averaging about six hundred on first sale, some maybe some were a little cheaper. I think there's generally volunteer tickets or some some people might get in for free if they're really involved, okay, in the so, organization so it could but, go
0: yeah. up higher, and I guess if anybody wants to do the math, we're talking eighty thousand people, so the, they they Not brought that. in some money. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Oh, they sure did.
1: And um, there were some, well, there were some tickets. You mentioned $2,500. There was something called a FOMO ticket. So they basically had last minute tickets where people could spend, yeah, like something like two grand or over two grand. I saw someone list one at 1600. And then there's people, you know, on like Craigslist or some sort of secondhand tickets who will just exploit um, right. people's desire to make it out there with the mm-hmm. limits. So
0: Right. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, there yeah, there's a little business opportunity, right? Buy a bunch of tickets at mm-hmm. five seventy-five and sell them for fifteen hundred or sixteen hundred, oh, yeah. right? For the fun well, of the crowd. All oh, right.
1: They do limit it. So that's the thing. If when you log in, ticket sales are incredibly competitive. Ooh. Um so everybody in our camp was logged on the day the tickets went live and I think two people got through or something, you know. And you can only buy two. What is it? Two tickets and a vehicle pass. One vehicle pass um, per login. So wow. they do try to prevent that, but you
0: know. Yeah, but you had a camp to work with, so you were. You we guys were. Yeah, somebody could have had a camp to work with too. But okay, oh, that's this is all really fascinating stuff. Okay, so then you have to bring in everything. And you made, Mm -hmm. it was funny, there was a weird synchronicity where I I have, I will make different sign-offs on my emails. It might be, who knows what it'll be. I don't know. I say different things. But for some reason, I wrote to you and said, wisdom dumplings as my (laughs) sign-off. And then you wrote back and said, we're making a bunch of dumplings for the playa.
1: We're making 600 dumplings. (laughs)
0: 600 dumplings. Wow. Now, so that means you, did you eat these on multiple days or you just distributed the 600 dumplings to many, many people?
1: No they sold out really fast uh-huh. sorry by sold out I mean we gave them away really quickly we had um so one of our events on I believe it was Thursday night we had dumpling dance party okay so we had DJs playing music at our camp and then we fried up all these it was actually to be honest it was more like a pot sticker okay at, at the end of it because it was too hard to steam these things but um so we we're mostly you know pan frying more like a pot sticker um and people lined up, but you know, with the the time it takes to actually cook these things and then the lines and the, all that, I mean, we sold out. The event was three hours. I think we were out in about an hour and a half to two hours. We thought people would be able to get several, like at least two dumplings. People were like lucky to get one. Wow. Um, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Dumplings
0: on the pie <laughs> and 80,000 people come running over. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Wow.
1: Yeah, so it's a pretty fun event. There's a there's um a whole guidebook of what food is where when on the playa. So I mean you could realistically not I mean, this is a terrible idea, but you could bring no food and just go to all of these events and you'd probably be okay. But you know Well, you only got one dumpling. Exactly. (laughs) It's like you're risking that people run out. There was actually there was a hot dog camp. I think they were just called hot dogs. Um, like a block down. And they had they had a line for hot dogs. they had some vegan dogs, and then yeah, they seemed to have plenty of supplies because I think they were doing it daily for a few hours. So there are camps like that. and like the camp next to us had lemonade every day for a few hours. So there's definitely you know little little spots you can go and get refreshments or drinks or, um, or like alcoholic drinks or um, snacks. Mm. So we, we also did we did a pancake breakfast one day and we did um, oatmeal one day so yeah nice. and some some uh, coffee mediocre iced coffee
0: playa cakes yeah all right oh, yeah.
1: dusty cakes
0: dusty cakes yeah sand cakes well so i i, I what, what is it that uh, drew you you how many times have you been
1: um this was my fifth
0: Five times, you're, you're mm-hmm. quite the veteran. I mean, I'm sure there's people who've been there 15 times, but oh, or yeah. more, right? Twenty times, yeah, yeah. right, yeah. Because um, we're talking, it moved to the desert in the early 90s, 92 or 91. I
1: think so. Yeah, okay. I, don't, I don't remember the exact year, but yeah, uh-huh. it's been yeah, it's been 30 years.
0: Yeah, and what what drew you? I don't know if you can remember initially. Do you, can you remember that? Why you the first time when you, you said. I'm going to go to the burn. Can you remember that? Maybe it's too far back. It was
1: 2010. Whoa. Um, yeah, I went with my friend. We only ended up staying a few days cause she had had her fill by a few days in. So she was like, I'm leaving. You can stay here, but you need to find your own ride back. Okay. If you're doing that. And you know, our stuff was in her car. So I was like, okay, I'll leave. That's fine. Let's go. Um, but why did you, you
0: were know? not done the first time though. You were like, Oh,
1: I, I wanted must... to stay longer. Yeah. I was looking to soak it up. Yeah. I was, I wanted to see the man burn. I wanted to see the temple burn. I really wanted to do it all. And then I think that was, you know, it was maybe it was like one eighty for my ticket. It was right around $200, but at that, and I mean, $600 is still a lot to spend on a ticket, but I, I remember that feeling like a, a very significant amount of money to spend on an event yeah. at that point. And, um, like, well, if I, sp- I spent that money, I definitely want to get my fill, yeah. you know. Um,
0: and why did you do it, though? Do you remember that? You, so you went with your friend. Did you just say, well, you know, I'm I'm game. I'm up for stuff. I'm up for desert activities. Come on. Who is it? A little desert.
1: You know, I don't know. I think, I mean, I do love an adventure and I, I've traveled a lot. Um, how old was I at the time? I was 2010. I was probably 20. I year was that? 25. 25. Yeah, okay. 25. Um, Yeah, I was used to traveling and adventure and really excited to explore and experience. And um, I think it came up because my friends had a a group of friends who had been going to Burning Man for since the 90s. Um, They were at least at least like 10 years older than us and had, were more experienced burners and they had been part of big big camps and more sound camps. So sound camps are camps that tend to host concerts and play a lot more music. Um, and so we had the opportunity to go with them and that was a good introduction to go with veterans who really knew what was going on. Um, and they were they were a little more chill though. So it wasn't, we didn't actually have meals every night with people. As I remember it but we might have been doing our own thing I don't actually really remember how that dynamic worked but um yeah I don't know I mean I'm not surprised I wanted to go but I honestly I don't remember I don't remember thinking much about it I'm sure I did
0: okay yeah you are a thinker I, I, I imagine you did uh, sure. so well how about this time what did you think to you well this one it's it's it almost feels like it, it wasn't it was more like ah oh, well everyone's going we're excited
1: ah! This is great. Not that you
0: were like, yeah, I got to go because I got to, I'm really looking for certain kinds of
1: experience. So to be honest, and part of the hesitancy this time. So the last time I went was 2015. So I did 2010, 2013, 2014, 2015. In 2015, I was actually in between jobs at the time. So I had a ton more time to devote to our camp and it was, um, our camp was bigger that year. It was actually 50 of us. Um, and, uh, you know, a handful of friends are putting in a ton of work. We, they built, they designed and built uh, what they called a rave deck. It was like a three story platform that they played music from. It was, I mean, it was amazing. So, you know, I was helping a little bit with that. I'm not, I'm not a builder, but all hands are helpful. So I was helping with that. And we actually went for the full week and I was much more involved. I'd been a little bit more, um, I don't know, Again, peripheral to the other camps I had been in the prior years. So this the 2015 I was much more involved and put a lot of a lot more time, effort, money, energy into it. And um, twenty fifteen was a really difficult weather year. Um, there was it was really hot and then really cold and very dusty um a lot of the time. And we were staying in a tent and when we set up, we didn't set up in a really secure location in our camp. So When I was describing, you know, by the end of the week, there's dust covering everything in your tent, um, and you're susceptible to the weather. That was the exact situation we were experiencing. So there was really no escape from the heat and no warmth from the cold, and you know, then all your supplies were just covered in dust. So you try to get a moment to rest, and there's just really, you know, it's it's not helpful to go inside your tent. So that was that was a tough year, and I think that just the physical discomfort of it all, even though there were some really amazing magical moments, a lot of great time bonding with our camp and beautiful art and lovely experiences. I think the, this year, physical discomfort of 2015, um, has made me hesitant to go back. Mm -hmm. Um, but this year we were like, okay, we're a little older. We have a little more money to put towards it. We also kind of know how extreme it is. So we decided to get a trailer and RV and just do it, you know, just invest in it. And um, as we started putting it together, it got more and more exciting.
0: You had to buy uh, it?
1: No, we, we rented the trailer. Okay. So we have a friend who has a truck, which was very convenient. And then I found a pretty good deal on a trailer. from okay. a very lovely um, guy up in just south of Reading. Um,
0: yeah, I asked because I have heard that some people won't rent equipment to go to mm-hmm. Burning Man. But you were able mm-hmm. to find somebody who did.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I asked him, you know, we're going to bring this to Burning Man. Is that okay? He said, what's that? And I said, oh, okay, well, Excellent. Burning Man. Yeah. And I was like, well, I don't want you to be surprised. Burning Man is this thing in the desert. You know, it can get dusty. It can be hard to clean, but you know, we're going to take really good care of it and clean. it. he's like, I don't care as long as the dates are available. Okay. So really nice guy. Didn't, he didn't care at all. Yeah. And we, we, we actually, um, the night, the night before we left, um, we got, well, I in particular got very excited about this carpeting project. We were, um, setting up, um, in Oroville. I don't know if you know where that is, but it's, uh, kind of, kind of, I don't know. It's, it's pretty rural and our friend has property out there. So it was actually lovely because we got to go out there, hang out in the pool and take a few days to set everything up. But, um, he just recently bought this property. And there's uh, a bunch of old carpet samples in his basement. So, you know, he's like, honestly, most of the things you find in that basement, you can probably use. So uh, we used some of the carpet samples and just coated the ground and part of the the base of the wall just to help protect it from the dust. So that made cleanup a lot better. And it also meant that we could lay down on our trailer on the floor. Wow. Which, you know, is only so appealing, but...
0: Yeah, sure. Yeah. So I wonder, you know, what do you, if I, I wonder if it's, I, I'm stumbling a little bit there. Hermes, stop doing that. It's still retrograde. <laughs> what I want to try to put my finger on here is that I know it must be hard to gauge because you have 80,000 people and the experiences must range pretty widely. But based on your experience of doing this several times and knowing how much you invested, what is your guess on on what an average person must be investing in gear and other things in addition to their ticket i mean what do you think I, there must be some extravagant numbers but but when people because i've also the context of this question is also that i have heard that gear doesn't do very well so a lot of times people will buy a bunch of gear and then they will get rid of that gear because there's just well, you know you're just going to have to get new gear next year because this is this is gone Um, but even if we assume that some people can reuse, what do you think as a guest, do you think people are spending or what kind of range, obviously the sky's the limit at the upper end. Do you think people spend on gear in addition to the tickets?
1: Yeah, I think there's a huge range. Um, I mean, like I told you, you know, there was the year that I went for free, found $20 and, you know, we used a tent that we, we own, we, um, you know, I, especially early on and I generally have this mentality of what do I have that I can use, you know, and you do have to understand that some things are going to be pretty damaged or just, you know, not like they were, they're pretty hard to clean or actually can just get destroyed. Um, But for instance, like I have the same pair of boots I've probably worn. I definitely wore them in 2015. I think I wore them in 2014 too. And I, I, I actually got a new pair of boots, but then you know, day two or something, I, I recognized they were hurting my right foot. And so I put the old boots on, you know, and so you just kind of have, if you have storage for it, a lot of people will buy gear and then that'll just be their burning Man stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, we actually, our camp has a, a storage container, I think in Nevada, um, where we keep a ton of the stuff. So there, there are a lot of things that are reusable You as long as you store them and a lot of people who go with frequency have some sort of storage for, for that gear. So that's, you know, you, you buy that occasionally and you might run through it more quickly than you'll run through, you know, non-Burning Man gear. But it's the same type of thing where you have specific gear for it. But then there, there's the extreme of people, you know, like my friend who had never been before. She's someone who um, she loves to shop. You know, she loves to buy new things. So um, she's spending a lot of money on outfits and she needs to get all the gear for the first time. And, um, you know, that can can rack up a huge bill. Um, So, again, yeah, you do have these extremes. Um, I'd say, I mean, with tickets and it also depends, you know, are you building a shift pod? Are you staying in a yurt? Are you staying in a tent? Are you running a trailer? Do you own, you know, do you own a van? that you can drive right in, um, all those things make a pretty big difference because yeah. that, that, was a, that was a big ticket item for us that we had not, you know, had in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, our, our trailer was actually very reasonable. Um, it was total, uh, well, including gas for our friend's truck and the trailer, I think it was about $1,800, which mm-hmm. is really not bad, especially between four people. So that's, yeah, that's sure. pretty reasonable. It's obviously more expensive than a tent that you already own or yeah. a shift pot that you've built before. Um, but so that that might be, and that's on the lower end of people who rent. Mm. Um, a lot of those, you know, like you said, a lot of people will not rent RVs or trailers to people if they're going to Burning Man. Um, some people will, but then the, the prices skyrocket. Like our friend saw one for $13,000 to rent yeah. for the week. That yeah, that's, that's
0: grand For a week, the reason I'm asking this, with people who might be listening, wondering, what is he doing all that? I'm trying to get a sense of some of the larger impact, you know, because of, I, I think it, it might it's worth reflecting that this single event. Um, in its first world and conquest consciousness dimensions, it, it, we might be talking about, say, $100 million plus in economic activity. And that might be a conservative estimate. If we're talking possibly $50 million in ticket sales as a conservative estimate, and then you imagine that, that everyone on average might be spending four or $500, even $1,000 a head, then this is suddenly like, wow, this is very much a first world festival because this is that's a right. huge amount of economic activity for a single week.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I think that's very accurate. Um, you know, we, we were joking, but it's also a sad fact is that this is Bernie man's sponsored by Amazon and target and, you know, Costco, because between the buying and bulk of food and the clothes, you know, these kind of clothes that you would, most people would not wear in their normal lives. Um, There's a lot of that. A lot of people go because, I mean, the pictures look beautiful, you know, so a lot of people go out there and really, you know, they're spending a ton of time taking photographs and videos and posting it on their social media or whatnot. And that's that's a big driver is, hey, look how great I look in the middle of the desert at sunset
0: in front of this art
1: piece. You know, that's that's a huge thing that used to not be, was not a big deal years and years ago, like yeah. in 2010, we definitely took pictures cause I mean, it's beautiful and it's, it's very artistic and I don't want to, you know, belittle people who are really, you know, enraptured in the moment and experiencing beauty and want to photograph it. Cause that's a lovely way to, you know, create art out there, but there is this commercial aspect to it and this, um, yeah, yeah, it's, uh,
0: well, that's part that's of the it. the thing that's interesting is that they're really yes. When you see some of these images, these are some of the loveliest people I think you might ever see. You know, at least from an image standpoint, you say, "My goodness, these are incredibly beautiful uh, people," and they're coming together and and trying. I think the the thing that's also important to acknowledge is the the overall spirit, not just that everyone's trying to beautify themselves and and um, make. Th- something beautiful in terms of making artworks and so on, but that there are other ideals. What do you see as the spiritual highlights or high points or, you know, the the things, the very merit building qualities, let us say <laughs> of Burning Man. What do you tell us about it? Give us all the good, the very oh,
1: best. God. I mean, there's so much good. It's there's, you know, there's, there's everything there's really, so there's the spectrum, right? It's extreme. It's extreme weather. It's extreme experience, extreme emotions. Um, so there is all that, you know, difficulty with capitalism and you know it's our culture. What sorts of extreme
0: emotions did you see? I, oh. it's, I mean, I could imagine it because, you know, in fact, one person I know who went there had kind of like a a bit of a breakdown, uh, not quite yeah. a psychotic break, but but you know, yeah, kind of oh, emotionally yeah. intense.
1: It's really common, you know. Really, any any, it's it's tough on relationships a lot of times. You know, if you go there with a partner, it can be very difficult because all those issues in your relationship are just forefront and more, more intense. Um, Yeah, you know, because you can't hide from it, you know, and you're in extreme, extreme conditions. So if there's (laughs) there's an issue and then you're like, oh, my God, you know, you're blacked out drunk again. But this time it's 115 degrees and I actually have to cool you down because you're so out of your mind. You don't recognize that you're putting your health at risk. Um, for instance,
0: um, a random example, for instance,
1: not from anyone's personal experience, but, um, so yeah, there are extreme, extreme things that can happen, but, um, yeah, a lot of people, there's also, I mean, in the past this year was really beautiful. I mean, there were some difficult experiences, but I'd say I had a really beautiful time overall and I was very at peace for most of the time. But I, I do in the past, I know I've experienced like incredible loneliness and isolation because you really are in the middle of the desert. And if you if you lose your people, or if you go on a solo adventure, I mean, it's, it's pretty easy to get lost from people. And there's really no cell service. Um, there used to n- not be any service, but I think there's a little service here and there. Now I didn't have my phone on. But um, yeah, you can get lost from your people. Uh, you can, you know, in the middle of the playa at night can feel really lonely
0: mm-hmm. too.
1: Um, so there's that, that kind of loneliness or um, isolation, confusion, you can get really lost and disoriented yeah. um, just from how the city works. Um, and then just, I mean, in that setting, like in a desert in general, you know, you deserts are pretty amazing places cause you really, are in a lot of ways feeling that um, kind of aloneness with yourself. So then anything you're experiencing in your life is just right there with you. Um, So it's a really beautiful place to feel your feelings and then feel them through and continue to process them and explore them, see where they go. And another really magical thing about this event is that there's something, um, I think, just the pure otherworldliness and uh, imagination that goes into this experience um, creates synchronicity in, in just a very large amount. You know, I, I'm someone who has experienced synchronicity in, in my life because I'm open to it and aware of it and interested in it and kind of on a path that I've gotten these little you know, moments, as many of us have. Um, but I think out there on the playa, it, it's exponentially more available. Mm -hmm. Um, and everything's so random in a sense that you really can encounter anything. Okay. Uh, so there's this ability for synchronicity and and magic. And, um, so you, you know, you're going through an emotional process or a psychological process. And then all of a sudden you meet something that you did not expect. And it's so synchronistic for your experience that you can, you know, continue to process your emotion or have a revelation, or, you know, you can have this peak moment. Um, as you're working through your own stuff. So there's really this possibility to um, kind of externalize your internal journey in a way that I just don't think is a, is as available in our, in our normal um, functioning life.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Externalize your internal journey, huh? Um Sure. Uh, i think one of the things that's interesting is the way this is um this plays on the the okay so so i want to acknowledge that there are these wonderful things that you're talking about and then i i want to ask about the difficulties that these things present and also that they experience to come to fruition in a culture of ignorance. Because uh, one of the things that happens in in, uh, a culture of ignorance is because we so hunger for ritual ceremony and what anthropologists call the liminal experience, then we start trying to find it in places because it's not really made available. So Victor Turner is one of the anthropologists who talked about this. And it's in the work of, of course, Joseph Campbell has it in his own way in his work, and it goes back uh, earlier than that. But the basic structure is of, of this kind of ritual experience and this mythological experience is that we have a separation, and then we have a, uh, a transition or threshold space, and then we have a return. And so the liminal space technically is this crossing of a threshold. You really are entering a space. And in, um, in a, a ceremonial space, that, that transition is held or protected by the guardians of the ceremony. It might be one person, say, a shaman. It might be a group of people, say, if you're at the, the Sundance, and you have a lot of elders who are holding this larger space. In the dominant culture, because we don't have a lot of access to this, this is called the liminal, which means the threshold. And so that, the idea, what is the separation? I'm in my ordinary life, and then I must leave it temporarily. Now, sometimes this is forced on us, you know. So a, 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 that, that, that separation from everything could happen just because you lose your, your beloved, and now you are sent into the liminal space of grief and that just happens, or or nature or life comes. And sometimes, of course, it's because you, you have a destiny or a calling. So Frodo has to go on the journey, or Bilbo has to go on the journey, because that's just their burden, and they are separated from the Shire, Lord of the Rings. For those of you who don't know, I uh, separated from their ordinary life, which is very comfortable. That's the nice thing about the hobbits is that they're, they're, they represent our comfort side. You know, we just want to be at home and comfy, and it's nice and and have second breakfast and onesies, and you know, so we, we want to have this really nice thing. But then you get forced into this liminal space. But then what Turner realized, and you know, one of his books was um, it, it, it was this uh, he was writing about. Um, how you go from he, he the title of the book is from ritual to theater, and one way to understand that is to say that we we've lost the real ritual, and he used he had a word for this liminoid. I know I hope everyone's following this. So there's the liminal, that's the real threshold space, and then there's the liminoid, which is not really the same. But you're so hungry for the liminal experience that you try to turn other things into that experience, but they won't, it doesn't work. And so um, the extreme example now that we have in a certain way of, of how these things get mixed in, what I want to say then, by the way, is just to finish that little arc of thought, is that maybe Turner is implying that the ritual becomes emptied because of all the theater. And the reason I'm bringing that up is because of what you were saying, Leah, about how there's a lot of imagery and it's now been co- one thing that's happened. It's not the only thing and it's not to say that it ruined, you know, now it's all ruined. But one thing that has happened is that there's theater that is about the look how pretty we look and it's all glossy and it, that's not necessarily giving us the, what, what it would mean to go through this liminal experience. So that's one challenge. And then the related thing is that we don't know how to navigate those spaces. That's another reason. So not only is it that the, the culture doesn't really have it and then we're trying to force it to be here, we're, we're gonna all go to the desert and we, all the elements are there. As you say, you're, you're unmoored, you're, it's not familiar anymore. Nature is playing this strange part Sacred powers and inconceivable causes are bringing synchronicities uh, of all kinds, and that all of that is supposed to happen in a hero's journey, but all that we did was we went into the desert and we burned something and then who knows what happens after that right and we don 't know you know to, <laughs> for being a little more cynical well what do you uh, what is your sense of of that the, this aspect of trying to recover something sacred in a degraded context in what ways do you sense people really facing that. I mean, would you, you see that? Am I just making this up? Cause I wasn't in burning man, but I'm just guessing that this might yeah, be a no, problem.
1: I think that's very relevant. I think that's present. Um, I, I also, one thing that was coming to mind as you were speaking about this is, I think there's several, I mean, many different, um, I don't know, states of consciousness and and the people there, you know, there are people who I think are seeing it all more clearly. And there are people who are completely lost in the theater of it. And then there are people who are trying to have a spiritual experience, but maybe don't understand what that means. Or, you know, I think a lot of those people are the people who have very emotional times. I mean, not necessarily, but, um, so people who are searching, um, for some sort of spiritual experience, um, and see this as a sacred space, but though maybe are not, you know, not in a conscious way, um, maybe conscious, maybe not. And then I think there are people who are more seers or more experienced, maybe more experienced burners, although not necessarily, um, or, you know, maybe more spiritual people or more, I, I don't want to value judgments to these people but just you know people carrying states of awareness that are more capable of holding the space um and supporting that spiritual experience
0: Mm
1: -hmm. um that's part of the
0: liminoid right is that what you're describing because right and the because the liminoid is that in a liminal space you don't really have a choice you, you the space is, it is sacred, there's nothing you, you're going to be, you can't escape it or choose not to, to have this going under experience. Whereas in a liminoid space, it's kind of like it's watered down. So like when we go to the national park, it's like an amusement park in a way. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to have the experience John Muir had. Or you know somebody else like Buddha going into the wilderness. Buddha going into the wilderness is such always a great example to my mind because we all know how wondrous nature can be. We all want to sing the praises. Well, not maybe not all, maybe certain capitalists or dismissive people, but many of us think nature is wonderful, magical. And Buddha says, well, any idiot can go out into nature. That's not going to just not going to give you any insight or transformation or healing. You have to know how to do the work ahead of time, and then you have to know how to let that space be held. You know, if you're going by yourself, that's a really hard thing. And he was really critical of people who thought they could just do this. He said, no, you really need training. So you're saying there are some people who are really hungry for that space to be held, and it's not necessarily being held and other people who are trying to, but because it's technically not liminal, it's not like they can just hold the whole playa. And so it's, I think it must be pretty challenging.
1: Oh, yeah, I think uh, it can be pretty messy. And I think people can Have pretty rough experiences that you know like um for instance in doing deeper shamanic or medicine journey work you know sometimes you can come out and um maybe have more difficulty than when you went in because some doors were open that weren't protected and yeah. Um, you don't know, you don't have the tools to work with it. Maybe you let some things in that you can't address, um, that you're not aware enough to see. So now you have more going on in your subconscious or, or, um, you've kind of added, you know, baggage to your burden instead of worked through this baggage or this burden and and healed. Um, I think that can happen for a lot of people who go out to Burning Man, um, yeah. It's so interesting. It isn't a protected space. You know, um, there's uh, this year was different for me in a lot of ways, but there, I'd say every other year I remember walking out at night and really feeling this kind of hedonistic, almost demonic play. You know, Mm. it's a right around midnight, it's dark, people are out, all the lights are on, it's a different scape now, you know. It's neon lights everywhere, sounds coming from all directions. I mean, that's one thing about Burning Man that I think um, is very unique to Burning Man and, you know, maybe music festivals, but this is on a much larger scale, is there's always sound everywhere. There's always bass in the distance, multiple sounds. So it, it does sound like a circus or a carnival mm-hmm. um, most of the time. Um, so there, there is that there is that kind of strange, dark, kind of dark, maybe. I mean, it was, you know, actually dark. Um, but there, there is that feeling that I experienced where I did feel kind of susceptible to wild energies that I didn't necessarily want to invite in, but I yeah. felt like they were there.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, this time I felt differently. I'm also in a different space and um, personally and spiritually. So I think I had more capacity to to work with that. Um, I feel like I would. I had one of, one of the things that I felt that was different about this year is that I felt like I was in a capacity to help hold space for other people. I wasn't every other year. I felt like maybe I was looking for something, especially 2013, 2014, 2015. I really felt like I was looking for something. I was out there seeking and I didn't feel that way at all this year. I was just once I got there, I was like, this is the celebration and enjoyment of it all. Um, I I wrote music for our camp and that was a really beautiful gift that I got to, to give and participate in. And just, you know, when I got there a couple of days later than most of our camp and I walked in and I'm like, Oh, the singer, you know, nice to meet you. Cause I knew about half our camp. And I was like, yeah, yeah. You know, so that was, that was already a wonderful way to walk in and everybody loved the song and was so happy that we had a camp song and the, the guy that mixed the song and, and produced it, you know, we bonded over it and I got to actually share the, the philosophy behind the lyrics of the song which everybody was interested in. Was like, this is so cool. You know, so I almost, you know, upon arrival was like, ah, my job here is done. I'm having a great time. Like how can I help facilitate the rest of this hmm. for everybody? Um, so I, I did partially because of that and just partially because of where I am, I really did feel like I was in a space to, to care for other people in a way that I haven't been in the past and, and to really just show up and, you know, um, kind of listen and see what was needed and really give. Um, so I think I got kind of sidetracked with my thought there, but, um, yes. So I do think there, there's, there's a way that people can really encounter difficult things and not have the tools to work through them, which, yeah. you know, can be dangerous. And then, but on the flip side of that, you know, there. There's the experience where people are able to experience a radically different way of living, um, and really use their imagination. And um, you know, though though not everyone is like this, it is generally a very welcoming and loving place where you know people aren't necessarily overly nice, but there's kindness. Um, so people, you know, might yell profanities at you, but they're being playful and then they're like, come hang out with me, you know, but it's just part of their shtick, you know? So there's all sorts of weird things going on, but generally it's very inviting and you can kind of pop in wherever you want to. Mm -hmm. And, um, there's a lot of embracing, um, and stewardship for people who really embrace the, the tenets of Burning Man, Mm -hmm. um, so. Oh, well,
0: there you've breached the a subject that has <laughs> some, <laughs> some more potential for spiritual materialism. I mean, I just want to acknowledge that one of the things, if I were drawing philosophical lessons, these would be old ones, these are not new, but it's a, an affirmation, for instance, of the fact that we are lived by powers we pretend to understand, one of my favorite lines, uh, it's D.H. D. H. Lawrence, but, um, or pardon me, W.H. Uh, uh, Auden, and we uh, when we play with those powers, we don't realize that we're playing with fire. We don't know how to relate to these things, so th- so there this there's this hunger for the liminal, and then... People uh, go into the space, and as you say, there can be a lot of hedonic energy, which is not really the energy this needs. It needs to have mm-hmm. this uh, kind of a lot more reverence because the powers are going to be there, and if you don't know how to work with them, then they will cause disturbances for you or just make the thing a, a nice memory because you you, could, you might have really nice intentions and you're really trying to work with it, but as as anybody who knows who has been on the spiritual path for a while, if the experiences really don't have a place to take root and if they weren't received in their fullness and metabolized, then they're just going to become a nice memory. They won't really have changed the culture, which is one of the possibilities for a liminal space is that it is destructuring to certain maybe patterns that have to give way. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really important point because a lot of people um, love Burning Man so much. And they mm-hmm. put in so much time preparing and organizing and building and creating, and they go out there and they have the time you know ups and downs and everywhere in between, and then they're done, and they're like, "Oh, they call it decompressing, you know I'm decompressing from from burning man, and I don't even think people really refer to it commonly as integration, um maybe here right. and there, but that's, that's the thing. It's like this whole buildup, this crescendo, and but it's, again, getting confused between the peak sp- experience and the integration. That That's so important in journey work. You know, it's not all about the journey. It's not all about the peak. It's about what we learn and how we bring it back, what we bring back, and how we can shift, right? There's something going on there that we're getting in this peak experience that is now... Um, really disrupting old patterns, allowing us to recreate or to create new patterns, more healthy patterns to heal, to, to become more wise. You know, there's, there's a sense that it's not just this um, big bell curve that goes up and comes back down, but it's actually, you know, we're actually kind of leveling up a little bit. We're learning. Um, And there is, I, I think plenty of people learn things at Burning Man, but there is also this mentality of, okay, see you, you know, see you next year. Mm, Um, Like, Mm. okay, we're going back to the default world. Yeah. And they, they're, you know, again, there may be some of this compassion and stewardship and some of these 10 principles of burning man that carry through to some degree, but uh, I don't, you know, San Francisco has a ton of burners. I wouldn't say San Francisco is like burning man. Right you know yeah. people are bringing that back to San Francisco. Um,
0: we're not changing the culture yet, that's for mm-hmm. sure, and there's also right. this issue that we're seeking experiences, but we're not doing as Buddha was saying too you you, you you can go chasing experiences, but if you don't train so that the right kinds of experiences come. And or have a place where they can become rooted in you, so there's a real transformation. Because otherwise, we say we learn, but then it turns out we're in the same situation five years later, and we mm-hmm. didn't really learn it. We we said we did, and we were nostalgic. And and I'm just being a little. I, I know. Um, that people who are fans of Burning Man might find some of these things, I don't know, could be overly critical. I am trying to be an honest philosopher, that the traditions have always warned about these things. And as I said about medicines in, in a previous uh, contemplation, I think this is part of what Plato and and uh, Socrates were concerned about, that they had their own Burning Man, much more powerful and culturally pervasive, and that was the Eleusinian Mysteries. That was a powerful liminal experience. And somehow or other Plato thought, yeah, but why isn't my culture healthier? Because it had far more, um, you know, presence in the culture than Burning Man has in ours. And can what can we learn then from the wisdom traditions and the sages that could... If Look, if you want Burning Man and its spirit to be successful, don't try to reinvent the wheel when these uh, sages are saying, look, you have to listen to, to these basic teachings that a lot of indigenous cultures... Are, uh, 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 they evidence them in their practices, too. So I'm sure there's a, there are some really important differences, say, between the Sundance and Burning Man.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely, I would say. But I do, you know, in And instead of Burning Man informing the culture, I almost feel like the culture is taking over Burning Man. Right. You know, like the, the original Burners, um, you know, they were much more anti-materialist. That's part of the point We're Burning the Man burning capitalism and um but now you know again like all these outfits that people are buying for burning man and, you know all the all the gear and and just you know all the um, you know a lot of the music is really big too there's like these big sound cars that you know it's like okay they have the hottest dj and they're putting on the best show on the playa and everyone has to be at that show to have the best time you know and I mean, to be honest, that's one of my favorite things about Burning Man is the and there's a lot of terrible music at Burning Man, um, but there's also a lot of amazing musical moments. And that's some of my favorite stuff. But the point is, you know, it's like this materialism, this capitalism is leaking into Burning Man. It's not the other way around. So yeah. much. So I mean, that's... That, that's what's more prevalent to me as someone who, you know, it's been 12 years, the time that, you know, I've been going to Burning Man and I see it exponentially increase. Wow. So, it's That's yeah.
0: amazing that to 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 recognize that and and again, this is a thing that the spiritual traditions they tell us ahead of time. And so, I think anybody who's a fan of Burning Man or or interested in transforming culture and whatever is the thing or the set of things that you think, "Oh, these are the things this will transform the culture." All these traditions teach us that each one of those is, if you're right about it, and you think, no, this is really, this really could transform the culture and get rid of some of the delusion, that means that it's a threat to your ego and to the culture, if the culture is written in ignorance. That means the culture and your ego, well, they have an immune system, which will treat that thing as an invader, and will find ways to try to get around it. So we can guarantee that Bernie Man is going to be co-opted. It's not like a surprise. It's that if you didn't do a whole lot of work to stop it, it's just what will happen because capitalism doesn't like those, those kinds of gestures, you know, or whatever you want. I don't I, You know, capitalism, it's a whole complex of ignorance, but our economic ignorance doesn't like it any more than anything else does. But our economic, you can tell that it's uh, not a threat to the economy because of the scale of finance involved. I mean, how do you, how would you manage that otherwise? Right. You know, a hundred million dollar plus maybe event. I don't know what it, maybe it's much more than that.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I know there's a lot of money and resources that goes into making it happen. So I can't say that's all profit because you know, they they have a lot of work to do out there and it's an, you know, it's an organization year round. So they have employees and um, it continues to function even outside of Burning Man. But Yeah, I mean, there's these whole plug and play, as they call them, kind of camps where, you know, it's like these mega RVs and trailers that are set up for people who pretty much fly in, go over, live in their space, there's catered food, there's, you know, all amenities, they really just show up with, I think sometimes they even have outfits, you know, it's just, it's set up for them. And I don't know how much money they pay for this. But yeah. you know, tech people are in that, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of tech people and I'm sure plenty of other people too, but it's, it's a common part of Burning Man culture now. And it's, you know, I'm not too distantly connected to some of these people in, in San Francisco and LA. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I have friends who did that and one of my friends said she was embarrassed to do that, but you know, she was in a situation where she could and she just flew in and did it the easy way. And, yeah. Had some shame, but also you know had a great time.
0: Yeah, about so. sure because you can turn it. And it's what we've. That's the story of the dominant culture: is how do we try to turn this thing into our entertainment? This whole sacred uh, dance of life. One of the things that I wanted to bring up then is what I consider maybe the one of the biggest instances or examples of a spiritual materialism. And I don't know what we'll say to reflect on this, but one of the things is this idea that. Um, that you can leave no trace in your life. I find this to be an an astonishing level of ignorance because there is no such thing. We're human beings. We're going to leave a trace. The only question is what kind of trace? But one of the things that, uh, I don't know how accurate it is, but Burning Man themselves claim that their careful analysis yields an estimate of 100,000 tons of CO2. And I don't know if we can trust that. Do they really know how many generators burned how many gallons of gas? And I, I hear it was 12 hours of traffic to get out. Some of those cars might have been running because, you know, you're sitting in a car in the desert. I would say um, most of them were running yeah. unless they died because yeah. it was 115
1: degrees. So
0: Right. And so the University of Chicago estimates that the cost... Of carbon pollution is a hun- is, is if you know because we are not in control right now so it's going to be something like a hundred thousand dollars per ton is the cost to humanity, so this is one of the things we have to keep in mind. Then is not just okay we have a carbon footprint, but that everybody has to pay for Burning Man and what's the cost for us? Well, for if it's a hundred thousand tons a year, the cost to humanity is ten billion dollars. <laughs> a year according to that. Now, the University of Chicago was not trying to pick on Burning Man. They're just saying this is the cost. It has nothing to do with Burning Man. I'm just saying that Burning Man claims 100,000 tons. I'm sure that's a a conservative estimate. And a different source is saying, well, what's the cost per ton to deal with carbon pollution? And it's $100,000 a ton. The other thing that's interesting there is that one person in the U.S., consumes about 16 tons a year, which is really, imp- um, it's impressive because the global average is a quarter of that, so four tons. But in Africa, the math works out rather nice. It's 0.8 tons. Because what that means is that Burning Man, for one week, because it's 80,000 people, it's equivalent, and, and remember, we it's we have 100,000 tons of CO2, it's the equivalent to an entire city of, of 80,000 people in Africa for a whole year. <laughs> An entire, that's just in carbon Significant. footprint. So uh, one weekend in, in the first world, and then there's this idea that somehow you're not going to leave any trace, but we saw in the news that people took all their garbage out and immediately started dumping it everywhere along mm-hmm. the way, including reports of people just throwing it out the window.
1: Oh, yeah. The, uh, Did you
0: see any of this happen? Any of this trash? Uh, oh,
1: yeah. Um Yes. So, I mean, there are many stops on the road out that, you know, it's like $5 a small bag, $10 a big bag. Um, and like some, some are tribal people. Cause you know, a lot of right next door is tribal lands. Um, so yeah, that's, um, people are, a lot of people are stopping there. I didn't see a ton of people just abandon their garbage on the side of the road. Um, I did see bikes, you know, a lot of people, there were, I mean, there must've been a thousand or something. I saw pictures of just abandoned bikes on the playa all over. Um, That's probably the biggest one. Um, People are pretty good about moop, which is trash matter out of place. place, yeah. 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 People are pretty, that's kind of like a, that's a pretty entrenched rule and people will yell at you. A, a lot of times, especially I mean burners, like that's a big thing. Um, but we did see a lot of bikes just abandoned because sure. um, you know there's all sorts of problems. Your bike gets dust in it, it stops running, the chain falls off, the tires pop, whatever, you know, and there there are bike camps, like there there's a big bike camp. Most people have people who can work on bikes at their camp. like we had several people who are really great with bikes. Um, so, you know there's a lot of things you can do about it but a lot of people especially at the end of the week are like you know i'm done with this and it's broken so i'm just gonna leave it right here so i don't have yeah. to carry it out with me yeah. Um, so yeah like how I, I don't know i might be exaggerating but it looked like you know Like I said, the picture I saw looked like a thousand bikes or something.
0: Wow. Um, But
1: that could be an exaggeration. Um,
0: (laughs) Okay. But it's a lot. I mean, people dumping a one, you know, 10 bikes would be a lot,
1: right? Yeah, exactly. And it's a huge, you know, it's a huge piece of metal and rubber and it's, it's a lot of trash. Um, And we saw, I think we saw some on the side of the road, there was something I've I feel like I saw some kind of large trash items on the side of the road on the way out, but for the most part, there's not a ton of trash just on the side of the road. um
0: But when you but, get into the little towns around, even as far as Tahoe, I heard people in Tahoe were complaining yeah. that dumpsters were being filled. That oh, people I are bet. because yeah, and people the issue is Reno, a lot. right? Reno. <laughs> so
1: there's Reno. I'm sure was just trashed. So
0: yeah. Because people, this is the funny thing, right? Is that in in uh, other cultures who have would have had liminal rituals like this or ceremony, they knew how to live in the places they were having the ceremonies because you you couldn't do it otherwise. And here is saying is a place where human beings just do not belong for any length of time, and none of them would know how to be there if it weren't for this exploitation that they're doing. So the whole thing is this weird expression of exploitation that this conquest consciousness it will not be told, you, you shouldn't go to someplace. No, we will we will turn it into a livable city and in the process use an entire year's worth of, uh, who knows, uh, that's just the carbon, my goodness. It might yeah, be that's just two years carbon. worth of resources for the well, Africans.
1: Well, it's, right? it's also getting there, you know. Exactly, like, yeah. People drive hours and hours people fly in then drive you know there's all sorts of ways that these you know eighty thousand people need to get here in the first place right so there's already that um and then get back so that's something that i'm sure they don't really take into account um and then yeah i mean there there really is so much trash that we make
0: yeah Um, which it's a weird thing because of course when you say matter out of place one of the things i love uh uh uh, Soko Morinaga's book one of the first lessons he's a Zen master and one of the first lessons he was taught he said he went to study with his teacher when he was a young young boy and um, he tells this beautiful story of how he was supposed to uh, take care of the lawn and then the teacher came out and said you know what, what, are, you, what, what are you doing there's uh, um, all these uh, sticks and pebbles and stones or whatever that were around and you know every, every time he, he would Point to something, like say a bunch of uh, pebbles, and and he said to the teacher. Teacher said, "What about all these pebbles?" And he said, "Well, that's just trash." And he said, "No, there's no trash." And so he shows them how you can take the pebbles, pick the pebbles that got scattered into the yard and you put them under the drain spout so that you don't get as much erosion when the water comes off You know, because of the stones hit the water hits the stones and it spreads the water out and he does this for everything and the lesson he gets his first lesson in in Buddhism Buddhist philosophy is there's no such thing as trash there isn't trash in the world but then we know that trash was made and how do we deal with that terrible contradiction in our existence you know Mm
1: -hmm. I mean it seems like we're intentionally making trash and I mean, Burning Man does its part to try and limit trash. I mean, we are trash beings. We are trash humans. We're living in a trash culture. It's profitable to make trash. So that's something that happens. Um, Burning Man tries its best to limit that. There's still a ton of trash. Um, But, uh, you know, for instance people generally don't have plastic cups, don't have disposable cups. We you usually, you know, you go around and people offer, let's say people offer alcohol at a bar or people, people were offering what was my favorite thing. Um, there was this one camp that had little slushies. Um, so, you know, it's over a hundred degrees. There's a dance party. They had kind of a pickleball badminton thing set up on the dance floor. <laughs> I mean, this was like, this was so fun. You know, our camp, we won the pickleball game. It was a great, great day. And they had these slushies. Look
0: at you. Pickleball
1: Oh, channel. so fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm very good at pickleball. Um, but they had these little slushies. You could have it with or without alcohol. So you bring your own cup and they you know, fill you up with your slushie. And so that's, that's a common thing. Or like the camp next to us, like I mentioned, had lemonade. So you bring your own cup over, right? So they don't have disposable cups. So there's less trash. Mm. And that, that's, that's a big true. thing at Burning Man. That's one of yeah. the things. Like You have your cup. You have your spoon. You have your bowl. Whatever. You have your equipment. Yeah. Um, and there are some exceptions here and there, but generally that's the deal, you know, and there was, um, there's this one really cool setup. It was like a ton of shipping containers, all set up like different, um, I think it was modeled after Tokyo, but there were maybe like 50 little bars and, it, and they made a few alleys. So cool. Um, and everyone was individual. Uh, my favorite one was moonshine there th- that was run by philosophers definitely that was was my favorite little. what was
0: the giveaway that it was run by philosopher
1: uh the bartender and i didn't i don't really drink so i didn't have a cup with me but um he was when people would walk up and ask for a drink he would say what is a question you have and um i mean the way he was responding it was just he was very clearly a philosopher and people just were baffled they were like uh what do you mean you know, it's like a oh, great question. What do you mean? Um, what do you mean? Yeah, great. yeah. Or, or someone might actually um, think about it and have some question about themselves or something. Um, I was waiting for someone to ask an interesting question, but I guess I didn't sit there long enough. Um, but anyway, you know, it's like you have your own cup and you go around and you can experience the different bars, and that's that's a really cool offering. Yeah. Um, so that that is something that Burning Man does work on. Um, and just to contrast that I've, like I said, I've had kind of a, a very boisterous, fiery month and a half. I've been to multiple music festivals, including Burning Man over the last month. And I was just at one last weekend in San Francisco. It's a new, new festival. And it was a bit of a hot mess, but you know, fun, great music. Um, but I mean, you just couldn't, you know, take three steps without walking, you know, stepping on a plastic cup or a crush can or a water bottle or something, you know, it's just everywhere and yeah. they have great cleaning crews. They come, they clean everything up the next day. It's like new. So people can litter all over the ground again, but you know, right. this is not a solution. It's like, if we're all going to a music festival and you want to drink, yeah, bring your cup, Right. Go, go get your $20 cocktail in your own cup instead of a $20 can. You know, yeah, it's just a, yeah, it's such a waste. So that that is a big difference. You know, there is at least, hey, that's one way we can limit waste.
0: Yeah, but, bring yeah. your own cup. But I mean, obviously, this is a it's there's this still this larger conversation of we're trying to do something from this standpoint. It seems to me of conquest consciousness because you really, I, I mean, there's this larger need for a real liminal experience that skillfully handled. And that doesn't involve people going to a place where people can't live, wouldn't be able to be there. Mm-hmm. And this delusion of, I'm not going to leave any trace, but the cost of humanity every year might be $10 billion for us all to go and do this, as opposed to truly. I mean, I guess they have this uh, aspiration now to make it, I th- the, the statement I think I saw was that we want to make it better for the ecologies that it happens every year than if it weren't to happen that it would somehow be worse for the world if burning Man mm-hmm. didn't happen ecologically speaking now that's i think that's a tall order because if mm-hmm. they think they're going to plant trees somewhere else that's that's probably not going to work either i mean they're <laughs>
1: I they yeah they're not planting enough trees if that's the, the goal yeah, yeah i don't i mean that's a great aspiration and i do think they're very ideological and i i do think that their heart's in the right place. Like this is a well-intentioned organization, but again, and it's an org; it's not a con. You know, it's, um, you know, maybe there are some. There are definitely some mechanisms in place to make it better than a lot of the other things that we have going on. A lot of the other companies, for instance, that we have going on in our in our culture, the other music festivals or carnivals, whatever there there is. There are those aspirations and those goals to make it better, but we have a long way to go.
0: Yeah. You know, and
1: I mean, there are some amazing things like this is otherworldly. You know, there's nothing yeah. like this on earth. It's just, it's breathtaking. It opens your imagination. I think it opens a lot of doors, but again, does it open? The right doors? Does it open the healing doors? Does you know which doors are opening? It's you know it's like yeah. hey here's a here's a new possibility, but is that the road that we want to walk? You know? Um,
0: yeah, because there too, if you want you want to see something that's breathtaking and explodes your imagination, read the Avatamsaka Sutra. I always say, <laughs> you know, and you don't have to go anywhere, but maybe you could enter. You could actually enter that space and think how many yogis went to a cave and said, "You want amazing." Just go inside your own mind. I mm-hmm. think Jung would say that too. I, I, I wanted to read from Gary Snyder. Um, and you you might get a sense of why I chose it rather quickly. And, and the rest of you listening, just stay with old Gary for a moment. And don't worry, I know I specifically have friends who hate poetry. And so you're going to be Okay. But um so this is Finding Space in the Heart and it's at the end of his his masterpiece his magnum opus Mountains and Rivers Without End Finding Space in the Heart I first saw it in the 60s driving a Volkswagen camper with a fierce gay poet and a lovely but dangerous girl with a husky voice We came down from Canada on the dry east side of the ranges Grand Coulee, Blue Mountains, Lava Flow Caves, The Alver Desert, Pronghorn Ranges, And the glittering, Obsidian-paved dirt track toward Vaya, Seldom-seen roads, Late September and thick frost at dawn, Then follow a canyon and suddenly open To silvery flats that curved over the edge. Oh, ah, the awareness of emptiness, brings forth a heart of compassion. We followed the rim of the playa to a bar where the roads end and over a pass into Pyramid Lake from the Smoke Creek side by the ranches of wizards who follow the teepee path. The next day we reached San Francisco in a time when it seemed the world might head a new way. And again in the 70s, Back from Montana, I recklessly pulled off the highway, took a dirt track into the flats, got stuck, scared the kids, slept the night, and the next day we sucked free and went on. Fifteen years passed. In the eighties, with my lover, I went where the roads end, walked the hills for a day, looked out where it all drops away, discovered a path of carved stone inscriptions tucked into the sagebrush. Stomp out greed. The best things in life are not things. Words placed by an old desert sage. Faint shorelines seen high on these slopes, Long gone Lake Lahontan, Cutthroat trout, spirit in the silt, Columbian mammoth bones, Four hundred feet up on the wave-etched beach ledge, Curly horned desert sheep outlines Pecked into the rock, And turned the truck onto the playa, Heading for the no-knot, bone-gray, Dust-boiling and billowing, mile after mile, Trackless and featureless, Let the car coast to a halt On the cracked, crazed, flat-hard face Where winter snow spirals And summer sun bakes like a kiln. Off nowhere, to be or not be, All equal, far reaches, no bounds, Sound swallowed away, No waters, no mountains, no bush, no grass, And because no grass, no shade but your shadow, No flatness, because no not-flatness, No loss, no gain, so nothing in the way, The ground is the sky, the sky is the ground, No place between, just wind-whip-breeze, Tent-mouth leeward, time being here, We meet heart to heart, leg hard-twine to leg, With a kiss that goes to the bone, Dawn sun comes straight to the eye, The tooth of a far peak called King Lear. Now in the nineties, desert night, My lovers, my wife, Old friends, old trucks, drawn around, Great arcs of kids on bikes out there in darkness, No lights, just planet Venus, Glinting by the calyx crescent moon, And tasting grasshoppers roasted in a pan, they all somehow swarm down here, sons and daughters in the circle, eating grasshoppers, grimacing, singing sutras for the insects in the wilderness. The wilderness, the foolish loving spaces, full of heart. I really uh, I love, love that. Uh, maybe I'll read the last couple of lines. Walking on walking, underfoot earth turns, Streams and mountains never stay the same. The space goes on, but the wet black brush tip, drawn to a point, lifts away. Those are his very final lines. So you can maybe recognize where mm-hmm. he was. Oh yeah. And so, if those of you who are, aren't sure, yes, he he was in Black Rock Desert, and he has been going there for years. He's been going there long before there was Burning Man, and he had. A, you can see this kind of different experience, not. Leah Helena's Winston dumplings, but gra- grasshoppers, <laughs> making his kids eat grasshoppers. And, uh, he once said, um, I've been to that place for years, and, but I've never been to Burning Man. He said, I, I went there before Burning Man, and maybe I will, in my lifetime, be there after Burning Man is no more. But he said, I did drive by through that territory while Burning Man was going on, one time, Gary Snyder. And he said, you know, you drove, I drove by, and there was the whole cacophony, you know, the whole big mess out there in the desert. And then, he said, really? Only a few moments later, and you could hear nothing. Black Rock Desert, he said, is so vast it swallows Burning Man. And then he said this, which which gives us all hope. And <laughs> he thought that was a really strong thing because it's Gary Snyder, for crying out loud, if anybody wants to change th- the culture and burn the man. Um, but for him to say, well, you know, it's hopeful that the, the desert can actually <laughs> swallow this up. Um, I don't, do you have any reflections on those lines from Gary Snyder? Any of them? It's hilarious. His, his little dig or...
1: Yeah, no, I I mean, there's so much magic out there, you know, and I think maybe all the noise disrupts the magic. Um, yeah, I mean, one of the most magical moments I had this year was um, my friends were climbing on one of the, the art structures and it was, we're up, fairly high we were probably up like at least 40 50 feet in the air and this little perch it's one of the really one of the larger art structures out there was a bunch of oh I forget what it was called but it was kind of like a a birdhouse it was actually a really well done art piece and um, I didn't I I meant to take a picture of it but they had some writing on it that was very beautiful poetic and uh, reflective which I cannot recall at this moment but Anyway, I climbed back down because I was just getting too crowded in that little perch. And I just sat next to my bike. We had been out all night dancing and the sun had come up and we were kind of meandering, taking a long road home. And um, I just sat there and I have very sensitive vision and especially being out all night. And, um, you know, I looked up over the mountains in the distance and I swear I saw this face rise out of the mountain and I was like oh that's the mountain guy you know and I was just sitting there and in awe and kind of because the space is so empty it's it's full you know it's this vastness and um my girlfriend came and sat down she's like are you okay it's like I'm actually fine I'm better if, you know I'm left alone because I'm having a great time just sitting here in reflection. But, you know, and then people came, oh, where should we go? What should we do? You know, and then the noise of like, oh, let's figure out what we're doing next. And I was like, I don't care what we're doing. This is just beautiful. Why can't we just be here right now? Yeah. You know, there's something that's that's lost when we're too busy.
0: The mountain man couldn't have his talk with you.
1: I know. It's like, right. you know.
0: And it goes to show the difference because uh, all of you listening, Leah's a very dedicated practitioner. And I don't think either one of us would say we're Milarepa, which even then says there's a whole other level that we don't even understand what, what is actually open to us without all the accoutrements, without the generators and the, just to be able to learn how to enter that, the magic of every place. We don't even have to go anywhere because that mountain man will, can be in your mountains. Here in the Maksa Reja, the Santa Cruz Mountains, there's a lot of magic. It's a wonderful place and and, um, somehow it, it seems important for us to find a way to learn how to touch this magic right where we stand and also learn how to do it in relationship then to the living ecologies we actually depend on and could contribute to. You know, to be in an ecology and not feel that, well, I, am not, I don't belong here, so everything has to be taken out, rather than saying, no, I have to have a dialogue. And ecology ideally wants me to, to receive from it and asks me to give back to it very directly, that I pick the berries, which then helps the berry bush thrive, and then I give back you-know-what, right? The compost <laughs> or whatever it might be, my ceremonial offerings and, and my prayers and my presence. my detriment
1: yeah no i was i was thinking about that before our conversation because again burning man is awesome in a lot of ways um but yeah how could we do it better and maybe there's something about oh we're going to a place and i think that's part of the philosophy we're going to a place where nothing can live but yet human resilience and community allows us to live here I think that's part of the lesson of Burning Man is that we can figure out a way. You know, so there's a really beautiful human story. But
0: how can Isn't we do that? Isn't there a delusion there? Yeah. I mean because you couldn't do it. I mean that's the issue is that I mean Gary Snyder without at least was culture, able to survive. Right.
1: Without <laughs> well, and they're set up next to it so that we can buy all of our stuff and bring it over.
0: That's right.
1: Exactly. Yeah. We're forgetting the whole picture. So it's there's this there's this story that's really lovely, but again, it's segmented from the total picture of where our resources are coming from and how we're actually doing this. The money we're spending, great, it's a gifting economy, but what did I spend so I could give away 600 free dumplings, you know? And not only did I have to buy the dumplings, I had to buy the ice and the cooler to keep it in, you know? Right. so it's, it's just like the footprints larger and larger. Um, yeah, but I was thinking, you know, what... What would that look like if we, you know, different scale, I would say, but how do we, how do we gather, you know, how could we create a festival around, and festivals, maybe not the right term, but how do we create this kind of beautiful artistic event around an ecosystem that can hold it? You know, where we actually learn, oh, instead of leave no trace, it's like, how do we engage? You know, like you were saying, what, what are we receiving? What are we giving back? How do we give back to this ecology so we can actually enjoy this? You know, maybe that's a good way, you know, kind of like an offshoot of Burning Man. How do we create that festival, right? Where, mm-hmm. we, can, where we can have a situation where we're not creating a mess, where we're learning, oh, what does nature have to offer us and how can we be here? Um, with these resources how you know we can there's a river right here we can use this water here instead of bringing in you know 20 gallons of water um, and you know maybe I don't know what we would do with food because I, I don't think we're in a situation where we could realistically gather food for ourselves in a wild habitat although maybe there's little stations where it's like hey here's the wild berry bush You know, here are the greens, here's these mushrooms you can eat, these mushrooms you should not eat, these mushrooms you should eat if you want a good time, you know, so people can kind of help you learn um, how to engage with the environment in a more sustainable, healing, collaborative way.
0: Um, yeah, how do we reindigenize? And that's a part of it is that we, if we want to know how to do that, we have to look to the wisdom traditions and also ask, how did the people who used to live here before conquest? How did they live? Mm-hmm. And what do we have to submit to within that, those teachings in order to return ourselves to the land? And because he mentions in there, uh, he, he has the line, um, "We follow the rim of the playa." <laughs> To a bar where the roads end and over a pass into Pyramid Lake from the Smoke Creek side by the ranches of wizards who follow the teepee path. In other words, Mm -hmm. indigenous people who are living on the land. Mm -hmm. So those people know how to live there. And it's interesting, too, the section, a couple sections before what I uh, read is called The Mountain Spirit. Mm, so maybe he saw the guy. same mountain man. I wonder if he did, but yeah, that's, it's the mountain spirit. Oh, yeah, but, yeah the, um, the big guy. Big yeah, yeah, the big guy. So how do, we, how do we do that? How do we re-indigenize? And, uh, and that would mean that we do have to uh, overcome more in our culture and in our, the indoctrination that people don't maybe realize that they A lot of times when we're rebellious against the culture, we somehow don't think we're infected by it nevertheless, right. which is a silly thing.
1: Yeah. And that's actually I was at some point that thought crossed my mind is that maybe, you know, nature isn't enough for us anymore, because we don't know how to sit in silence with it and how to really listen. Yeah. So we really do need to go into this, you know, this moonscape full of crazy art and vehicles and people that we've never seen before so that we can really be slapped in the face with the ability to live differently. Right. And it's not that that's the way we should be living. It's just that we need to be really knocked out by another reality to realize we can live differently because again, the noise, like we just can't silence everything. We can't listen internally because there's so much noise and stimulation, which is funny because Burning Man is so much noise and stimulation lights and noise, you know, all the time. Um, Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, that is interesting um, and an interesting note to, to leave on for people to kind of meditate with that there is this sense. I mean, one of the things I think is so funny so often about our political and economic situation is that people basically give up and say, well, you know, what else can you do? This is the best that you, we could do. You know, people often say, Oh, well, capitalism is the worst system there is except for all the other ones, which are even worse. But then uh, there is this spiritual experience of, no, we could do things better. And why is it that we won't hear that the world wants us to and that maybe it has its opinions and maybe that's why we don't want to hear it. Because what nature would tell us to do, in fact, the first thing nature might say is, okay, great, I appreciate your spirit. Don't come back to this desert anymore with 80,000 people. You know, that's the first thing I want to tell you. This is really great, but just you need to take a second and listen to me And let me actually guide you. And because she's going to make us renounce things, as Sophia does in all her manifestations, she makes us renounce things, and the ego doesn't want to renounce them, and the culture doesn't want to renounce them. But your experience as well, there's something else there that can tell you, no, there is another way.
1: Yeah. I mean, there has to be another way. (laughs) We're in trouble. (laughs) Yeah, we're doomed. So
0: Yes. All right, well... Leah Helena, as always, it's a delight to to talk to you. Thank you for coming.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me. I've had a lovely time.
0: Oh, good. So did I. And I look forward to our next dialogue. And thanks to all of you for joining us and for engaging in your practice of life. And uh, we both encourage you to think about these questions as deeply as you can. Think about how we can all take some wise, loving, and beautiful steps forward and create that culture that will allow all beings to thrive in mutuality. And if you have any stories to share about any of this, it could be Burning Man stories, it could be just your own experiences with some of these questions, please send them in through dangerouswisdom.org We might be able to bring in some of them in a future contemplation. Until then, this is Dr. Nikos, your friendly neighborhood soul doctor, reminding you that your soul and the soul of the world are not two things. Take good care of them.